Hello, and welcome to Label Sessions Presents. Label Sessions is a global platform that connects you to the best advice for the most interesting people, whether you want advice, mentoring, or ideas. I'm Josh Nixon, content producer for Label Sessions, and in this episode, Nick Sherrod of Label Sessions talks to Layla Fatala. Layla is a leader in delivering cultural relevance for some of the world's biggest brands, previously of Diageo and Adidas, before now founding her own agency, Platform 13. Her passion is to answer the uncertainties faced by big brands in the ever-evolving world of consumer behavior, tech, and creative innovations in brand building. Over to Layla and Nick. Excellent. Let's make a start. So welcome. Lovely to have you on the on the podcast. Thank you. So your story is kind of one of those interesting people because you've been doing your own thing a lot and you've also been working inside some massive brands. So how does the whole story work? How would you give a kind of overview of your working life? I've got this really rare kind of weird experience of being able to for a long time, like not really understand what my skill set was. It's quite intangible. I know what resonates. I can tell what can resonate for brand. It's re- It's like, it's just not something that you can learn. But my mom says I've been able to do it my entire life. I can I can know exactly what's coming through and what's going to land and what's going to resonate. Um, she said I should have been on the stock market many, many years ago. But, um, you know, so that's something that's just intangible. And I guess just trying to find a place in the world uh, for me uh, to be able to use that skill has been interesting. And um, I found it in advertising, marketing, communications. Um, and have been doing that now for almost three decades, pre-internet. <laughs> so I really have been and seen the shift from, you know, before to now, have been a really early adopter um, of any new newness and new technologies in communications in multiple ways. Um, but I've literally learned everything from experience. So I have no formal education in what I do. Um, and I think it's just that ability to understand what resonates um, that is the red thread. Now, sort of three decades, decades, decades later, I'm able to see what that actually has been through my career. So I uh, am, I had a very early career um, at Tony and Guy, um, very opportunistic, walked into their hairdressing salon, came from South Africa with a bald head and was like, I need to shave my hair shaved for nothing because I've only got 200 pounds. I don't know anyone. Um, their phone was ringing. So I walked and I was like, your phone's been ringing. Uh, do you need someone on reception because you're losing business? And I was talking to Anthony Mascolo from Tony and Guy Hairdressing, um, who is one of the brothers who founded it. I had no idea who he was. Um, he was just a guy standing in front of the desk. <laughs> and he gave me a job on the spot without an interview. So he was just like, that attitude, I need that attitude. So um started there. Um, after five years, I was um, head of PR for their Diffusion Line Essentials. Um, and work very, very closely with the senior team, Anthony, the family, at the family-run business. Um, and also, at the same time, very opportunistic. Um, was like, why can't we have an in-house agency where I can have the hairdressers go out to magazines to shoot so that we can get credits in the magazines in the fashion area instead of just in the beauty area? So extremely, that's what I'm trying to say about this, I guess... I call it opportunistic way of understanding what's happening in the world and where growth opportunities might come in. But I only know these words now. I guess for me, it's just how it's been. Um, at the same time, the internet arrived. 
Um, and I was already into science fiction. Uh, I used to read a book, um, well, I used to read an author called William Gibson, um, who is a science fiction writer. Um, and he had a book called Neuromancer, which is about connecting people through computers. So when the internet came, I was like, oh my God, here it is. It's here. And I was like, I need to be able to do that. So as I said, extremely early adopter in things that are happening. Um, and so after Tony and Guy, it was either marrying to the family, who I love, but no, um, or stop my... one step too far. Yeah, one step, one step too, too far, far but sure, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fa favorite people in the world. Um, so started up a very early um, online marketing company called Generation Net, um, and there was no industry. There was, there was no case studies. There was no email. There was no website. There was nothing. So really, really early on. Um, got some great early clients um who were there for experimentation and you know we, we had no idea what we were doing but we did really well after two years one of my clients said why don't you just mix the two things together and come and work for us so you do the traditional stuff and the new stuff and i was like cool so we um branded my company from generation net to spin publicity spin a bit of a take on the politics of spin doctor um but also really really early on sort of integrating online and traditional communications um, and actually did that for 10 years. Um, that 10 year company on the front line, learning about new business, learning about everything. Um, as I said, no formal education, no investors, no partners. So really on the front line, um, but 10 years is a pretty good go. <laughs> did, did, did okay with that one. Um, decided to close after the credit crunch. I was exhausted to be honest. Um, and I was also really interested in thinking about like for all the stuff that I've done within those 10 years and even for Tony and Guy, like what would that be in a big company? Like what would that be in a big corporation uh, on a global scale? And um, I closed the company and was headhunted by Adidas um, as their global PR and social and content director, moved to Germany. Um, and that was my first taste of, in, of big brand corporate in-house, which was a huge learning curve. And, um, but, you know, a, a huge part of my journey um, onto where I am today. Um, after three years in Germany, my husband and I were like, our son is turning five. Either we learn German, be German, and he becomes German, or we go home. Um, and so we decided to come and make sure his education was done here. So, so now the reason family here, um, et cetera, and was headhunted by Diageo uh, to come in and look at how they could embed their portfolio of brands into culture um, in a new way. So with, um, I call him my, one of my biggest mentors and, 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 and um, um, Ed Pil Pilkington, who was really, really senior, um, he and I uh, worked on creating a whole new department within an incredibly successful FMCG company, Diageo, across the portfolio. Um, and that department's still there today. So I'm, I'm really excited about that, which is great. So, but that took a lot as <laughs> just to shift internally uh, to be able to do that. And then after a couple of years there, um, I decided to go back to um, being independent, um, started Platform 13, Diageo was my first client. Um, and they've been really supportive and were really supportive in helping me position what I was trying to do um, in this new way. So identified a gap in the market between big companies um, like Adidas and Diageo's and others and their roster of agencies and the missing gap, which is cultural relevance versus just the traditional roster of creative agency, social agency, design agency, whatever. It's the link 
uh, and the translation piece between that um, that I identified. And as I said, that's where I got to. Oh, that's the thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, happening my entire life, you know. And so decided to make a business six years ago, and here we are, platform thirty. So, yeah. and it's a really, it's a, it's a really interesting thing as well. This cultural relevance as a term. There's some industries talk about it a lot and throw it around, throw it around a lot, and you're not sure if they know what they mean. There's some industries which never talk about it. I mean, what does it mean to you? Okay, so first of all, it's not internal culture. That's the thing I'm going to put out straight away because as soon as you hear the word culture in corporate circles, they go, it's internal culture. And it is a bit, I guess, but it's not that for what I'm providing. So for me, a culturally relevant brand is a brand that engages positively with their audiences, internal audiences, consumers, fans, whoever, positively. And they talk about that brand outside of the campaign cycle when it's painful. So that brand impacts them positively in some way. It doesn't have to be worthy to be impactful. It impacts them, their friends, their communities, that they go, I'm going to buy that product even when I'm, when I'm not seeing advertising or like whatever around me because it impacts them so much. It's, it deeply connects with them um, in some way or form. That's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about cultural relevance. It's, it's, it's relevant to them. It's relevant to their world. It's relevant to their universe. Um, and that's a really, really important way you can think about culture-led brands different to category-led brands. So I saw, um, I think it was Seth Golden said a really, really interesting thing. He was like, if Nike was to create a hotel, you wouldn't know what that hotel is. But if a hotel chain like Hyatt or whatever creates shoes, you might not know what that shoe looks like. And, that, and that's really the difference. So this category leadership, what I call culture-led brand leadership. They transcend the category um, and that becomes a, a different place to play as well. And, and so in terms of the, the work that you're doing, do you find, so it's interesting that you think on cultural relevance and cultural leadership in a, in a category like, but the actual is it drinks and whiskey and the kind of spirits. That's the category stuff. And you, you tick the category box if you become a culture-led brand as well. Yeah, okay. Interesting. But how much do you find what you're trying to help the brand do is sort of is be reflect the culture and the, and the things they find outside versus shaping it? Because some of those brands, yeah. Yeah, I think you can shape. And again, you go, what does shaping culture mean? What does, you know, the input reflects the output. So what you're doing internally is going to reflect what it is externally. I've seen multiple times um, in multiple companies, you get a, an idea, a creative or design, whatever, even insights that gets sat on the desk of the brand manager or the person without an idea of what the community wants from that brand, needs from that brand, what role that brand can play in the world. How do you decide What's a good idea or not? What's the right insight? There's so much information in the world. That's a decision-making power. If you can build a muscle around the capability around sort of identifying the right things for your brand, you can make the right decisions and therefore mitigate risk <laughs> where you don't get to, you know, the point of a crisis or even like a misgrowth opportunity. You know what I mean? Because that, that can happen too. Yeah. And let's tell you aside of that, because I can see you sort of articulate really well, I think would be issue for brand managers trying to find cultural relevance. The other side of this of this picture is how come agencies aren't better at it or people in that kind of ad lab strategy world, how come they find it so hard? Because um, 
And I don't, I don't know if they find it hard. There's an issue with diversity of thought in these places. That's what I also identified when I was in-house. Um, you know, culture and communities, um, especially the ones that are influential, if it's music, if it's fashion, if it's art, if it's politics, you know, they come from places that don't necessarily, aren't necessarily reflected in the people who work in these spaces. And that's always going to be a difficult thing because how will you know um, about certain things if you just don't have the lived experience of it? <laughs> it's as simple as that. And you see it time and time again. Yeah. Yeah. Is it just to play into your, because your approach seems very much kind of experimental, going experiencing things, knocking into things and finding find things. A lot of, all the time, I, I would say, especially I'm sitting here in the UK, kind of, kind of the UK ad culture very much has this kind of very almost academic approach to talking about culture, uh, very removed from it. How it's actual, the real world. And that's what, you know, is really, really important. So even at Platform 13, and this is how I've worked my entire life. So even when I went in at Adidas and even when I, when I was at Diageo, I didn't work with the rostered agencies. I had a better network. I had an agency for 10 years myself. So... I was like, well, I know how to really unlock the nuggets of gold and new ones because that's how I've always worked. And it's like, that's why you brought me here. Steph. You need to let me do it in this way. Or else we're not going to get the results, input and output, you know. So um, I think it's always been, it's a nuanced art form. It is not a numbers thing. The numbers come because it impacts people so deeply that they want to talk about it unprompted. They will talk about it to their friends in places where you can't measure. Um, and this is where it transcends the category. So it's, but it's not, it's absolutely not instead of what brands need to be doing. So for me, it's about an evolution, not a revolution, I call it. So this idea of reach and relevance, like numbers and nuances, like that's where we need to get to to get to these culture-led brands versus brands. Um, so I guess it really depends on what the brand or company or organization wants to do um, and, and, and where they want to be. You know, it's a, it's a business objective. That's why I keep on talking about cultural relevance as a business growth driver, not just a marketing nice to have. Yeah, absolutely. And I really love this thing in terms of uh, diversity of thought, because it's also something we try to fill with the whole legal sessions thing is trying to get people platforms to think well, and be misfits and be misfits. Exactly, exactly. That's what we're talking to each other as well. Yeah, exactly, right. exactly. 100%, exactly. here we are. But, Let's but, do it. But I want to, I, I want to flip this slide because you've then gone and you've been willing to be the misfit and willing to think a different way. And you're sitting inside something like Adidas, a German company. You're not from there. You kind of, you kind of bring in a new approach. You're from a different part of the world. There's a lot that's in there. How do you kind of go through the process of leading them through the change that you're about to bring? And it is about navigating the system positively, right? So, you know, you can go in there and you can fight all you want. Um, and I tried that and it didn't really work. Then actually a very, very good friend of mine was like, they speak in PowerPoints, you know? I was like, what? They're like, that's the language. I'm like, what? Literally things like that, where you've never had access to these kind of worlds. You're like, what is the language that someone needs to speak that makes sense for people? You know, if, if, you, if you're going to put forward an, an idea that's not that's new, you need to be able to do it in a way that's understandable, that's realistic, that makes sense. And that what was for me the game changer. First of all, I had to learn how to use PowerPoint very, very well, very fast um, and decks and create decks really well. But then 
it was also making sure that it wasn't just inspirational theoretical things there were practical steps that could be taken to be able to do that and you start off small like for these big companies it's about a small pilot see how that works let's see what that might shift internally for things to go bigger and bigger and bigger it's never going to work where you're just going to go i'm going to change everything doesn't work like that so stan smith when i was at adidas wasn't the key brand campaign at all it became a different thing and, and it changed how we approach marketing but that was a small pilot of me coming in this new person that they were like we don't know we don't, who is this person like just was headhunted because of the work i did at platform 13 but it wasn't the norm that they had within the that setup at the time let, let, let's pick up on that because i think a lot of the people going through our mentoring progress now especially the marketing would say like Stan Smith, that's the kind of brand they'd always want to work on. And they imagine probably going in and it being like, here's loads of money. No. Here's like, here's like a massive <laughs> platform. Go off and make this going with Charlie Fisher. It wasn't okay. a brand campaign. Um, how, so, so, how did it happen? Like literally how did it happen? How did this one arrive in your inbox at some point? Um, so I was two weeks into moving to Germany and I was just thrown into a room. I'm thrown into a room, but like gone. You need to go into that meeting because this is going to be your first project that we release as Stan Smith. And I was like, awesome. <laughs> I was like, brilliant. Because culturally, I know sneaker culture. I know streetwear culture. That is my background. You know, this is the areas I've grown up. I understood exactly how and why this shoe could do differently what it had been doing to that day. That's where, if you get the right knowledge in about the culture, the community, and even the category, you understand that input of nuggets of gold I talked about that you can't find theoretically. You can only know if you're from what, whatever the culture might be. And that culture could be sneakers or it could be politics or it could be LGBTQIA+. You need to have the people with lived experience or understanding and knowledge to be in the initial ideation stages, the upstream. Not enough at the end. That's why it needs to be upstream. And, and, and let's maybe just pick that up because that's almost like the counter to a lot of the working culture just now. So what you're saying is essentially because of the way you operated, when that thing came up, you already had the, you were insightful as an individual. You kind of knew this stuff. You had, you had a gut for where this was going to go. Versus a lot of the time business cultures now, people kind of say insight is a thing that you do and you kind of get this thing and you go off and run through a process and things. Whereas you know, they're already saying it's a flip of that. The only way you make it work is that you as an individual have a sort of way of working that means when this thing comes up, you connect. You understand You understand the opportunity. So for me, insights, and again, it's this whole thing of the traditional model versus what I call modern marketing or modern brands, right? That's why the funnel needs to be updated. Because the funnel, one that we still use and we've used forever, doesn't really reflect information that needs to go into that funnel today as it did a few years ago. That's when I talk about evolution of the brand books and the, the, the business brand books, as well as the brand playbooks as well. These things need to be updated and evolved. As I said, it's not about throwing the baby out with the pram. Is that the saying? Something like that. It's just about going, where are we shifting and evolving and missing? Because the customer journey is really, really different now. So we have to think about what that means. That's realistic. You know, that's a reasonable thing to say. That is not something that needs to freak everyone out actually is just going to 
add value to actually what you're doing at the moment. So for instance, with the Stan Smith example, as I said, I was in, well, I don't know if you, if I did mention this, but you know, spin publicity was fashion, music, and arts culture. Um, I myself, you know, even in South Africa was a big Jordan fan just because of Michael Jordan. That's part of like my community and my culture, right? So I immediately understood what the opportunity could be, but also because I hadn't worked in a corporate setting before, I didn't actually think anything was impossible to do. <laughs> so I was like, why can't we change all the fascias around the world from blue and white to green and white? Why can't we get some shoes without a tongue image on it um, so I can draw a hundred people who love Stan Smith in the same way, but with their faces? Let's do that. Cool. Okay, let's do that. You know what I mean? So you're almost corporate newbie. <laughs> Um, and just really not believing that things don't, can't shift. This podcast is brought to you by Label Sessions, the global platform that connects you to the best advice from the most interesting people. Around the world, we work with brands to connect their people to true leaders, just like the people you hear on this podcast, for live sessions of advice, mentoring, or sometimes to collaborate on ideas. To find out more, visit labelsessions.com and book in for a demo with our team. Okay, I, I, I'm interested with that as well. So like in some ways, some of your superpower in Adidas was being a newbie to the corporate environment. So you kind of didn't have any of those things. When you then shifted into the Agio, you were more experienced in a kind of corporate world. So do you have to kind of consciously think, I'm going to keep this different mindset no, around me? No, that's my or... mindset. Okay. <laughs> like that's not a learned mindset. That is just my mindset. Think back to Tony and Guy, you know, creating an in-house agency for their hairdressers. That's, a mindset that has traveled with me no matter where I go. For me, with Diageo, what was interesting was because I had the bigger case studies, I could go in and go, look at Stan Smith, look at, you know, ZX Flux, look at these things on a global scale that was different to spin, which was much more sort of in the culture underground, underneath. This was on a scale, so there was uh, an ability to not change my mindset, but help change their mindset towards, you know what I mean? So, but I, I, I knew better how to navigate <laughs> and what was important um, and, and how to go about doing it than I did going in. You'd had, you'd perhaps become more dangerous. A little bit of knowledge <laughs> just makes you naive but dangerous. Let's this is the ultimate source. Let's just yeah, 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 source yeah. for the right people. Yeah, exactly. Let, let me just say, so one interesting question with this for me, which is around cultural relevance and things, especially when you're in these brands, sorry, now you're across, you work with lots of different brands. And even when you're inside something like the Edge or, or Adidas, you kind of got this house of different brands, and different communities that you interact with. How do you think about relevance and authenticity? Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's authentic by nature because it's relevant. That's what makes it relevant. These two things are not separate things. Um, if something's authentic, it's going to connect with people. If something's relevant, it's connecting with people. If you are doing something, um, and you have lived experience as part of the ideation input stage, then it's going to be authentic. These are not separate things at all. One's an input, one's an output, perhaps. Uh -huh. But and maybe especially that's an interesting thought around some of the categories that you've operated in. So, so for instance, I know the whiskey industry really well here. And it's interesting people will quite often go to the founding story of a brand to kind of figure it all that. But interestingly, if you go internationally, 
There's also other communities that either don't care about that, don't know about that, but they still have a kind of authentic relationship to something, to the brand in some way. It's interesting. And I think it's one of those things where I come from a culture first view. So brands will come from a brand first view. I will come from, what's the role of that brand because of its history, because of its heritage, because of all of that? What is the role of that brand in the world today? Whereas the brand might go, we're going to tell our story. I'm going, what is your role? <laughs> if we understand what your role is, we understand the why, then we can connect to the how. How do you get to them if you understand the why? What is your role? Um, that for me is where I start. We'll call that a cultural positioning, which is slightly different to a brand positioning. It incorporates the brand positioning, but it maps it against and intersects it against the people you're trying to talk to, the world at large, what's happening and why that's going to impact that. And that role we call a cultural positioning. Um, and that's something we start to really unique. That's the bit where the intangible skill comes in. And it's really hard because everyone goes, "What? how do you do that? I'm like, I don't know. I literally don't know. But one thing that my boss always said to me when I was in us, he was like, I've never seen anyone so rapidly be able to understand a solution from something I've just put in front of them. Straight away. And it's just because I'm taking information all the time, be it from the street, what's happening, what people are doing in the real world, what's happening in our industry, what's happening in the world. And it's constantly processing somehow, you know what I mean? And then lay it on the category of whoever we're working with and pulling the people that is trying to affect. And you get a really, really lovely space where this is the thing, the role that only your brand or company can play in the world. Out of that comes everything else because it's rooted right into your brand. Only you can do it. Only you can do it. Well, I suppose like, because also it's an interesting thing. You can do that quickly on the one hand because of a lifetime before that, before that point. You have to take all this stuff in. It's really hard to kind of codify that. You know what I mean? Like, the amount of people who have gone like, okay, Step one, step two, step three. I'm like, it's just new one. It's just not like that. I don't even know. So, you know, that that is the difficult part of it is that in a world where corporate is process driven, that's a tough one. It's a tough one. And that's where people get a bit nervous because they're like, you know, how, how do we become culture relevant? You bring in the experts. You're not supposed to know everything. You sort the brand. We'll bring the other bit. And together, that's where we win. So I think that's what really happened with Diageo. My department was portfolio culture first, working closely with the brand teams to be able to find this new way of doing things. And that's how it works. You know, culture and, you know, but also from a brand, if you have the right teams that are actually from the culture. So even at Adidas, I brought in people integrated, embedded in sneaker culture as part of my team. They were not my inherited team. I had to bring them in. Uh, from other places in the world to have that expertise as part of it. So if it's in-house and you want to build that, you can just make sure the talent is from the areas that you're trying to be part of or bring the experts in. Yeah, so that's an interesting thing, right? Because one of the things I wanted to pick up there was, I know a lot of people listening to this will be in the position where they are either the lead, you know, the big leader of a brand or somewhere senior. And I suspect at this point in the conversation, they're thinking, actually, I can see those cultures I would love to connect to more as a culture first approach this year, but they're also in a place where, uh, you know, their marketing team looks like every other marketing team in the industry. 
they work for this sort of the storied agencies in that sector, which means that they're all much the same kind of folk. So in terms of what, what are some of the things you'd put in their brain, I guess, as to how to start moving towards this kind of culture first approach? What are some things to do? Yes. And I, and, and I think it is about putting the mirror up to yourself. That's a tough thing to do in terms of a company. You, you've got to know where you are, what you're, where you are in the world currently to be able to know where you want to be, right? And that can be hard because internally and in places, you know, it's always about the success stories, blah, 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 and what have you. Understand where you are, hold that mirror up to yourself and be really truthful about where you are in the world and understand that your organizational setup, if you want to be a culturally relevant brand and you aren't at the moment, your organizational setup fundamentally needs to evolve, okay? And that's, that's the truth if you hold a mirror up. You can deny it as much as you can. You're not going to get the output if the input stays the same. That doesn't mean that you have to be ruthlessly, um, you know, cutting things. No, you go, okay, what's the way that I can evolve my organizational setup, evolve my processes to new world systems and create effective and not necessarily only efficient ways of doing things. If it's effective, it's going to be efficient. But sometimes if it's efficient, it's not necessarily effective. So it's really about that discovery, that audit of understanding deeply who you're trying to talk to and, 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 and your growth drivers. Um, and then really looking at the organization and going, where are the bits that need de development? What needs an evolution, et cetera? Um, but it is bespoke. You know, we offer a service. Uh, and this is not a plug, but this is just the way we think. Um, you know, our new P13 Inside Track is all about doing that. So it's about that initial order because it's really bespoke to each company. It's bespoke to, you know, the capabilities you have at the moment. It's bespoke to what you're trying to do as a business. Like it's, you know, it's not as simple. It's, there isn't a blanket approach to it at all. And you shouldn't have because your company is unique in the world. And that's where you need to get. Um, so I don't know if that's helpful, but it is very much about holding up a mirror to yourself and being honest and truthful about about where the changes need to happen yeah okay then i want to go to some fun questions that was a second but one more serious one which is so it's interesting when you're talking about your experience of uh the asher affiliate had a great relationship to the senior leader that brought you in or you ended up working with with, with a lot um one of the things that's likely to happen to a lot of the leaders listening to this as well is there'll come a point when they start to try and make change happen and they start to introduce people who they know are going to be misfits in the organization for at least at least for a period while the change happens um from your experience of kind of being that person, driving change from a very different perspective inside large companies in particular, what do you think, or what did you look to to your senior leaders to create the space for you? What kind of, what, what was the success factors? And you know what? It was, what was great about my senior leader um, particularly was he understood where he's, what, what he didn't know. And that, and that was huge actually, because he was like, I don't really know what you do, <laughs> but... I've seen what you've done. I want you to do this, you know, do the relevant work for us here. So I'm going to, you know, give you the cover to be able to do that. You need to be able to do that. And, and also like honest, transparent conversations up front. When we say experimental, experimental doesn't necessarily mean failure, but there needs to be an understanding that something may take a bit more time to evolve into something. It is about finding the right people to be able to do that because sometimes, and what I've seen and it's been really infuriating and frustrating is that there's so many 
titles now with the word culture, trying to do cultural relevance in their titles, but they're the same people. I'm like, I don't know what you're expecting to get different out of here because the mindset, you can't change a mind, you know what I mean? I mean, you can change your mindset, but you can't change a, a, a way of doing things. And that's been re really annoying, actually, because um, you can't just change a title and then it, it changes it. You know, it fundamentally needs to shift. So I think I had the cover um, by someone who was quite visionary in, in, in how I was doing things in a very traditional company. Um, and, and it worked because he and I understood um, that it will be difficult, that I needed the cover, but then I also needed to prove to him, um, you know, and take everyone on the journey with me as well. So there was that, you know, great relationship that we had uh, to be able to do that. I think it'd be hard to come in and do that without having a bit of a bit of backup from senior leadership. Well, actually, the, the, the conversation around cover is a transparent thing, isn't it? Because that's a being director. Well, no, it's, not, it's not negative. Yeah, yeah. It, it yeah, wasn't like, yes. oh, just do it behind. No, no, no. It wasn't like that. It was just like, he was like, I'm backing this. I've got this. I've brought her in. She knows what we should doing. You guys may not understand what it is, but let's do this. And it was my job to then make sure everyone was aware and clear along the journey that I wasn't going to ruin their brand. <laughs> that actually it was going to add value, et cetera, et cetera. But that is its own job as well, to be able to bring, like the internal buy-in for me, I didn't realize before I went in-house how important that is, be that all levels, you know, from people underneath you and, and exciting them, you know, sometimes within the inherited teams, they may not understand your vision at all. And either you have to, again, this honest conversation. Do you understand the vision? Cool. What's your development areas? Okay, if you, do you want, to do it because sometimes people are put in these places and in these teams but it's not really where they want to be so I think it's just about listening active listening I guess could be one thing um it's also about um making sure that you're taking people on the journey in the right way as well um and, and that's also hard um to do because everyone's different but I think it's just about showing Show, you know, showing the right information at the right time when you need to, to be able to do that. So it, it's a tough thing. It's not an easy thing. That's why I'm like, don't just put it in your title. It, it's not that easy. Yeah. I mean, at there's all. a whole thing we could do. And what the hell has happened to job yeah, titles? Exactly. I mean, it's just like, people just put words around. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. It's tough. It's tough. Yeah. But it is, it is doable, but it's, it is also really bespoke to the company. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So you've had all the serious questions. I'm going to ask you a few fun ones that we ask different people to get a bit of a sense of you. And actually the first one, well, actually I'm, I'm interested on the basis of this whole conversation. So where do you go for inspiration? I where mean, do you go to feed your creative brain? I mean, Everywhere, by the sounds. I mean, I'm an information like junkie. Like I will go to a talk about something completely random and take something from it. I, 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 I love learning about people. I go out a lot to, um, you know, exhibitions and all this kind of thing. Um, but I read a lot and I read from a lot of different types of places, but I'm, you know, in a world where digital literacy is hugely important, misinformation, disinformation, you know, really critically thinking about what you're looking at, thinking and like analyzing everything, I think is really, really key. Cause I think that that is going to be probably one of the biggest blockers for people going forward is, lack of critical thinking and just taking information at face value and that being it but that's 
really important for this kind of work. Um, it's got to be credible. It's got to be, you know, from the from the source and lived experience versus opinion of others, et cetera. So I think it's hard to say there's one particular thing that that uh, you know I'm I'm influenced by the world. I'm I I love hearing different sides of different stories. I'm interested in politics. I'm interested in policies. I'm interested in technology. I'm interested in all these different things kind of mapped together in my mind yeah. somewhere. So, so actually the answer to where you got to an inspiration in your case is the world. It's the it's world. It's just like open yourself up I to can, it. You know? I, I can literally walk outside and go, oh, that's interesting. Oh, like that, like that. That's it. And usually my ideas are best done. I'm in the shower and I'll go, that's exactly the cultural positioning. Like literally it just goes somehow uh so it's really hard to codify it uh, I, 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 I think that's a really unhelpful answer but let's get in a sense because also one of the other questions is you know we're just told you the, this whole podcast is about your career story yeah. but in another light what would your career oh be? my goodness i mean who knows i tell you why who knows because i was born and raised in a part in south africa so we didn't even have access or like knowledge of anything outside of go and work at the bank, you know, which is a solid career, whatever, whatever it might be. So for me, it was just like um, logical thinking. You know, I've got a science degree, um, so I'm that way inclined, but I'm creative as well in terms of opportunistic. I'm business-minded in terms of opportunistic. I'm creative in terms of I know what resonates. Um, I don't know. I guess it's one of those things where from young, I know I was never one of those people going, I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going, it was never that. I had no idea, actually. Um, again, unhelpful. Sorry about these really unhelpful. No, just one, one half serious question. I didn't ask it before. Like being professionally involved in cultural relevance and being from South Africa. But do you think it makes a difference to you that you really you've lived through a culture that's changed so massively in a period of time, or maybe hasn't in a certain way? So do that what impact do you reckon the sort of South African aspect? You, the the South African has? aspect has given me. Um, I, I wrote about this in LinkedIn as well. Actually, um, actually, I might find it. I it, it was you know opportunistic. Um, I'm a troubleshooter. I'm super resilient. Um, I can understand how to get out of solutions and situations pretty fast um so you know it was more around the characteristics that have shaped me um versus anything and 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 how how i look at the world i, I live in hope and possibility that's where i live and so for me like there's always going to be a, you know a solution to something and i guess for me that's that's maybe where it's really impacted me and and that comes through in my work I hope um, and that I feel like um especially those you know I'm, I'm from the real world so I want to make sure that brands understand that real world voice lived experience um about things all of these things come through in different ways I guess um but I think that's that's the the bits and and I'm really um passionate about um discrimination um, of any kind, I, I can't. So for me, that's something that I'll always, always be vocal about. I'm going to step back my rules, otherwise um, my producer will get upset with me. So two more, two more. So uh, I'm going to pick this one. So uh, what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Oh my goodness. So this is, this is not really even within, well, two actually. One is if you have your own business, you're not in business until someone's paying you for it. That was brilliant. So he was like, so it's just an idea. And I'm like, what do you mean? I've got a business. He's like, not until someone's paid your business. 
Right. So that was a big tick for me. The other was, um, as I said, they speak in PowerPoint and decks. That was huge. That was a game changer. I can't even tell you. I was like, wow, that's probably the best advice I ever got in a corporate setting uh, still today. Because um, it, it was really like I, I couldn't I couldn't get my points across in a way that was making sense in the language of the people I was trying to take on the journey. And that, and that was a big game changer. So I know it's not the advice that um, probably is expected, but that that really was the best advice I ever had. But I also I, I also like it because it's also like the refusing thing to do is just to go, hey, I, I, hey, then we're not part of this thing. Your thing, the misfit thing to do is to go, actually, I can still have the same idea. I can just communicate it in a way that Absolutely. they can get ahead right. Absolutely. It's this whole idea of how do you get your point across in a language that's understood by the person you're trying to talk to? I mean, that's not, that's rock, that's not rocket science. Um, you know, it makes sense, right? Couldn't try a Scottish accent, but there you go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. this is the last one on a scale of one to 10. How weird are you? I mean, it depends on who's looking at me, to be honest. <laughs> but for me, I think, I think, I, uh, uh, the word weird also is what, what does that actually mean? But I think for me, it's more about like open, right? So I'm open to all types of conversations and all types of people. Um, and, and, and I love that. I think one of the reasons why I came to London is because, um, it, it embraces and, and it used to, or should, and does embrace the outcast. It's a little bit like me coming from where I'm from. Um, you know, so weird, outcast or misfit or whatever. I'm, I'm good. I want to be a 15 on that scale for sure. So concludes another episode of Label Sessions Presents. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast no matter your platform of choice. And of course, start your journey today with us at labelsessions.com.